Hey, welcome to Higher Resolution. My name is Bobby Goshaw. And I'm Jared Arandu. Every week, for the last 24 weeks, we've been sitting down with 24 masters of the design industry. Well, we had a 25th, but unfortunately, due to unforeseen circumstances, uh, we had a complication. I flew out to SF. It didn't work out, but we got something just as good. What are we yes. going to do? In this episode, we are asking each other questions. You get and, two yeah. semi-masters to make <laughs> one master. Yeah. That, that's actually a good one. Yeah. I like that. I like yeah. that. But it's going to be great content. We're going to ask ourselves some questions around what we learned in this series yeah. and um, just a little bit more about us because I don't think you actually know too much about us besides yeah. our names. Hey, this episode is going to be a lot of fun. You know, Jared and I have never done this kind of interview before. I've actually, nope. I learned a lot about him in this interview. Um, we had a lot of personal questions that uh, we wanted to understand about each other. So we hope you like it. It's the grand finale. You guys have stuck around for 24 weeks. My goodness, who does that? Get a life. <laughs> after this episode, get a life. Actually, after this episode, we have a bonus episode. So, and then get a life after that. And then get a life after that. Well, we're going to leave. Enjoy the show. Thanks to Squarespace for their support. Whether you need a domain, a website, or an online store, make your next move with Squarespace. Visit squarespace.com and enter the code HIGHRESOLUTION, one word, for 10% off your first purchase. Mr. Jared Orandu. Hello. We've sailed across the sun. We've sailed past the seven seas together. We've climbed the mountain. Yes, we have. We've kept the sinkable ship from not sinking. Yep. We've, we've glided on the backs of dragons. And here we are at the destination. I don't get the dragons one. Uh, Game of Thrones, man. It's on my mind. Glided on the... Uh, okay. okay. All right. That's fair. That's I've fair. been drinking. Go with me. Go with me. <laughs> okay. Go with me. I'm here. I'm going. And here we are. Here we are. At our destination. Last episode. We have 10 questions for each other. Yes. 10 each. Let's get into it. Question number one, Mr. Jared Arandu, who I've had the great pleasure of working with for the last eight months. Which guest has had the most fundamental impact on your understanding of design? Whew. I feel like if you ask me this question every single day, my answer might change just a little bit. That's but as of this moment okay. in time, it's Tom Kelly. Okay. Uh, I don't even know what episode number he was, but doesn't matter. 16, you should watch I the think. episode. 16? He I was in the so. teens, for sure. Yeah. Um, I'm a huge fan of IDEO. Yes. I remember, I think everyone has this story of like seeing some special that they had on TV years ago where they yeah. spoke about the shopping cart. I think we actually saw an old clip from that and noticed that Andrea Mallard, another one of our guests, was that. in that like preview, that. which is just mind-blowing. It's awesome. But anyway, um, something that Tom enlightened for me, and it's something I had been told and taught by some mentors of mine, yeah. um, but it was, very, it was very crystallized in that episode, was how one can approach their process. And, you know... The analogy I have been giving people to try and crystallize it for them is that of Batman mm. and his utility belt. Okay. Um, <laughs> so when you think about his utility belt, there are probably, I don't even know, like 10 to 20 things on, on that thing. Yeah. Um, but they each have a very specific purpose. Yes. And Batman knows what the purpose is. So when he's in a situation of combat or, you know, espionage, is it espionage? Not espionage. That's bad. Um, like spying, spying on people, whatever, whatever, the, whatever Batman, whatever Batman does. Batman's a little evil. It's yeah, okay. yeah. Let's keep going. Whatever Batman does, he knows what thing on his belt is best applied to that situation. Yeah. And that is how I think about process now. Okay. Right. 
So the thing with processes, you know, when you're when you're when you're when you're talking about it at an abstract level, it always does begin with defining the problem that you're trying to solve. Yes. There's the actual execution and craft piece, and then there's the you know the the uh, the collection of data, measuring your results, and then using that to inform and go back in a in a cycle. Um, but when you are in any specific phase of design, um, there are a whole bunch of things you can do. I, however, I feel that there are many people who think that within each phase, the things are done in a linear sequence, hmm. where it's like, okay, I must approach every single problem with a wireframe first, yeah. and then do this, and then do that, and then do that, and then have design review, and then go back and start over, and then do it's this. Lo- and it's not linear. Thing. It's not linear, right? That's right. So this is where the Batman belt comes in, yeah. right? Every time Batman gets into a fight, he's not like, all right, hold up one sec, like, let me like pull the first thing from my belt, do that thing, and then put that <laughs> yeah. back and do the thing, right? He's like, all right, and th- I know I am in fight mode yes, right now. Yes. There are six things on my belt yes. best applied to fight situations. Yes. Which one is this? Let me grab that thing and then use I it. I love this analogy, right? by the way. It's great. When you're designing, yeah. you may, you know, when you, there are different challenges you may come across. Yes. Maybe um, you realize that you don't fully understand the problem yeah. or the user you're trying to solve for. So you're like, okay, the big issue I have right now is lack of information. So mm. I need to be informed. You can be informed a number of ways. You can tap the designer next to you who probably has more context on that thing because they just left that project last week. And you get the answer from them. Or you may need to call for a user research study. You may need to bring people in. You may need to hop on a call. You may need to ask your PM, right? Many different things, but it's not a linear process. It's not like, okay, first I need to like hop on paper and like do this. Yeah, right? And you hear those a lot. Like we we love, we love terminologies. We love like acronyms. Yeah, right? Yeah. Exactly. And it's not the case. And Tom had a much better delivery on this. So definitely watch his episode. He's a trained public speaker. What do you But like he's just sitting down like this and he's like, well, you know, like I just I loved it, right? Um, And it's just very liberating because what it tells you is that like, okay, you know, I can have my own flair. I can have my own approach to this thing, right? My utility belt doesn't have to be black. It doesn't even have to be around my waist. It can be around my shoulder, right? But once I know the things that are on there and I've built the confidence of knowing what thing is best applied to what problem, Mm. you're free to move. Love it. I love it. All right. Your question to me, sir. First question to Bobby. So, Bobby, number one. Yes. What was an answer that was given during this series that you initially disagreed with but later changed your mind on? You know, we had an average of around 20 questions per guest, Mm -hmm. 25 guests. That puts us pretty darn close to 500 answers. That's crazy. That have been given on this. I think yeah. if I'm doing the math right, I've been drinking. <laughs> I wouldn't get behind a wheel, guys. Uh, that I've changed my mind on. Yeah. Listen, I, I, I hold strong convictions loosely, but I don't know that I've necessarily changed my, uh, my mind on anything. Here's the, uh, you're, you're asking about things that I disagreed with mm-hmm. that I now agree with, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I have a couple things that I've disagreed with. Uh, and it's unfortunate that Cap and Judy are so close to the end because I remember their episode more mm-hmm. than others and I can find yeah. things I disagree with yeah. maybe with most people that we've interviewed. Uh, but I'm going to go to Cap and Judy because those okay. are the two that come to mind okay. right now. So Judy, I love Judy, but Judy said something in her episode where she talks about what the right time to leave a company is. And she said the advice she gave someone, which is still amazing advice because it was new to me. I'd never mm-hmm. heard that before. Uh, but after thinking about it, I just disagreed with it. Um, which was uh, uh, never leave, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but never leave when things are bad. Wait until things are good and leave if it still makes sense. 
in a soundbite, I totally get why that's like an amazing answer. Mm-hmm. And I, I actually think it probably applies to most people. The problem with that answer, the problem with that framing anyway, is that you're encumbering the person to, to live through something that mm. isn't good. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, like, I'm way more confrontational about things I don't like. Not necessarily like in your face, I'm going to be pissed off and like I'm going to be you know, aggressive. I'm, I'm more confrontational with myself about things I don't like. I ask myself, why am I here? This makes no sense to me right now. I have options. And there are people that don't have options that need to live through things. Mm-hmm. So I know that I am privileged in this. But if you are privileged, you might as well use that privilege to, to get yourself out of a misery, yeah. a situation, yeah. like a miserable situation, right? And, and um, I don't believe that people should wait until things are good. If things are bad, you confront it. And you try and make the most sense out of it, and you talk to people out of uh, talk to people about it, and you make sure that you're not reading into something incorrectly. But if you're not reading into things correct incorrectly, leave, leave. If things are good, don't leave. It's hard for things yeah. to be good. Yeah. Like it's really hard to find a job that you love. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, Judy, I, I just I disagree with that. I just do disagree with that. And I still disagree with that. And I'm, hopefully, when I'm mature and I'm wise, just like you are, I might change my mind. But right now, I'm in the Bobby. Time is short. You're 32. You're about to hit your prime. You've got to go for it. You've got to mm-hmm. find something that makes sense, right? Okay. And then the thing on Cap's uh, answer, which was funny because he said this right as IBM's logo came on screen. <laughs> uh, but Cap said he really didn't like this framing of design thinking. Mm. He completely disagreed with it. He thinks designers stole that terminology from uh, people who basically do this every single day. Mm. I completely disagree with this. A couple of things here, Cap. First... I think people, like, first I disagree the fact that people go through the design thinking process. Yes, people solve problems every single day, but a lot of times they brute force it or they kind of make up answers. Mm -hmm. I don't think people are cognizant and intentional about how they find the answer to the problem. Mm -hmm. And design gives you that lexicon. It It gives you the framework and the vocabulary. I need to start by empathizing. Then I need to move to defining what it is I think I just saw with the empathy, right? Then I start building things. Some people just jump to building things before understanding what the problem is. Most people do that. Then I I test and then I iterate on the whole thing. So there's a framework here that is tried and tested that makes a lot of sense, okay? Now we might have taken aspects of this from people that do this every single day that weren't designers. But the fact is design thinking is a great brand. It is an important framing. It gives people shorthand to understand how design works, and mm-hmm. people that are trained in design thinking, when you give them a problem, they just they, they go after that problem in a very different way. This I've seen this firsthand. And I've seen people at IDEO, you know, friends at IDEO that, that use this process. I've hired people that don't use this process. And they just solve problems very differently. Um, so I disagree that design thinking is stolen, that everyone does design thinking by solving problems. Completely disagree with it. I s- disagree that it's that it's a bad brand. Um, well, I don't want to put words in his mouth. I don't think he said it's a bad brand, but he disagreed with the, the whole idea that we should call give it mm-hmm. a name. I think giving it a name <laughs> empowers people to understand it. Mm-hmm. And that's an important part of being inclusive, is that you're giving people that shorthand to understand something you understand is better than them. Um, so those are two things I still disagree with, and I still haven't come around and changed my mind on. Okay. Okay. All right. Mr. Arandu, second yeah. question to you, sir. Oh, see, I, see I, I, I've, I've framed these questions in not English. What's wrong with that? <laughs> Flying at different, so here's what I wrote down. Flying at different altitudes, being a solo designer. That's all I've got. Okay, here's what I'm trying to get at with that question, okay? Yeah. 
you've you've gone from f- building a team at Teespring as their head of design at their prime, right? To freelancing, to now going to head of design at Lattice where you're the only designer. You're fl- and this is in a two and a half year time frame, like three year time frame, very short when you think about careers. Three years is a very short amount of time. And you've gone from this high level to now this like, you're, you're flying so close to the ground and you're doing the work. How are you managing this? Um, and what are some of the complexities and difficulties that, that you're facing now that you're trying to get over? Sure, so context switching. Context switching, yes, that's so hard. Yeah. Completely agree. Uh, I think a big part of it is being comfortable with ambiguity. Yes. Uh, which is something I was not comfortable with when I started off as a designer. Um, I wanted clear, clarity as quickly as possible. Yes. And once you gave it to me, fuck you if you like took it away. Totally. <laughs> um, but you quickly realize when you work in startups and technology that uh, things change all the time. Yes. And when you uh, give up on the notion that that will ever go away at any level of maturity for a business, mm. it's so liberating. Um, but as far as the context switching piece, what's really helped me is um, really trying to understand the process of design at a very abstract level. Mm. Because what I feel that gives you is confidence to approach any problem in a business mm. at any level of, uh, of um, complexity. Yes. Right? Um, and you know, when, when, you, when you talk about design in abstract terms of understanding, you know, Facebook uses this understand, identify, execute. Yes. Right? You understand the problem you're trying to solve. You identify opportunities to improve on the incumbent solution or create something brand new. Yes. And then you um, execute on that thing. And then you add, you, know, you can add one more to that, like yeah. validate and come back and start all over again. You can apply that to anything. Um, I remember I was actually talking to someone who um, we're trying to bring on to Lattice Design Team. We're hiring, by the way. Uh, uh, yeah. Well done. You're using our platform for hiring. Well I mean, done. You asked me, right? You, you are 50% um, of this. So, so um, you know, I, I had a conversation with this person, and they fully understood this notion. Yeah. And they said something to me that was pretty interesting. They were like, what are some other business challenges that you have at Lattice right now yeah. that design can be applied to, yes. right? And um, this is getting away from like the actual digital product that people interact with. Yeah. And I spoke about like, okay, well, on our sales team, for example, you have your deal lifespan, yeah. right? Which is the moment you've first made contact with a prospective customer yeah. to the day that you close them, right? And in SaaS companies, you tend to have a known average in a company for how long that takes, yes. right? And then he turned back and he said, okay, I would want to figure out how to cut that average in half. And I was like, why? He's like, because I'd literally be making the company money, mm. right? If I can cut the time that a sales representative takes it. to start talking to a prospective customer to closing them in half, I'm giving them back half their time Love to close it. other clients, yes. and then we're also distinguishing the brand because everyone else would be like, "Well, shit." Tell me, you, got, you, this you is hired like this guy? Really fucking close. Really fucking close. And he, <laughs> he knows. He knows who he is. So I know you're hearing this right now. Just fucking join, man. Just join. Just join. Okay. I love this guy. Yeah. I want to meet this guy. Yeah, Let's... I'm not gonna let you meet him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm hiring. <laughs> He's fine. Yeah. But anyway, um, you know that 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 is a different level of problem yes. than saying like, okay, how can I increase conversions in this flow? Absolutely. And both problems are valid, and both problems. Um, lead to impact for the business, right? Yeah. But it's when when you approach design from that level, right? It's like okay, well, that pro- that problem of um, of shortening the deal lifespan, yeah. right? Well, how would you actually approach that with design? Well, understand why is it currently X amount of days? Yeah. How do you figure that out? You sit inside the meetings with that sales representative. You are there when they make their first engagement. What are they writing in that email? 
do they have to be sending out that email? Is there something that can be done on the website that supersedes that entire first contact? So you just identify. Right? You are yeah, exactly right. Yep. You're identifying opportunities to solve that thing, yes. and then you are exploring or executing on different ideas, Love and it. then you validate. And you do that enough times, you will shorten that thing. If yes. we cut it in half, fucking amazing, right? Yes. But if we cut it by any amount, that is impact for that business, Absolutely. right? Um, and just coming from Teespring to freelancing to Lattice, all that allowed me to do once I got confident in that level of abstraction yeah. was just battle test that that assumption yeah. that design can be applied to anything. Yeah. And when I felt that confidence, you know, I'm obviously I get anxious all the fucking time. I'm anxious right now. I think my arms are sweating. Right? <laughs> <I think> but <laughs> but <laughs> I did not just test. But anyway, right? Um, you come you come across enough scenarios where you're like, okay, this seems to work. You yeah. throw a problem at me, I'm confident in my methodology that it will work, yes. right? Um, so coming from like, you know, if it's leadership or management to like IC work, like it's the same thing. Yeah. It's just a different terrain. Great. It's a great answer. Cool. All right. So your second question. During one of the HR interviews, yeah. high resolution, yeah. you mentioned that there are three P's you look for yes. when evaluating a new role. Yes. What are they and why? Uh, I like to, I love triangles. I, if I could frame anything in a model mm-hmm. and I can model things into a triangle, triangles have three sides. Three points are really easy to understand if they're really, really sticky. And so my three Ps of any job I was able to fit into a triangle, I was very happy with that, <laughs> is people, purpose, and pay. Before you define those, yes. did you have four Ps and you killed one because you really like triangles? No, this one actually fit okay. into a triangle okay. really right. well. Okay. Yeah, this right. one. The, yeah, I have others that I have other things that need five bullets, and I hate that because yeah. I now you know anyway. Um, <laughs> anyway, I you know people, purpose, and pay. I'm extremely pragmatic. Okay, I love working on things that I love to work on. Great, but I also am very pragmatic about the fact that there's two things other than purpose that matter: the chemistry that I have with the people I work with. And how much am I getting paid? Because I got to pay my MFing bills, right? Like <laughs> yeah. that's—it's just—it's that simple. Yeah. Um, and I think if if you're thinking about leaving a job, if you're thinking about getting a job, if you're assessing options, it's really important, I think, to assess it on these three P's: people. Do you like the people you work with? Do you get along with them? Do you go out to lunch with them? A lot of people don't do that. A lot of people don't have a work relationship. That alone is not a reason to leave if you're working in a company that you believe in and you're getting paid pretty well, right? So two Ps there stand out pretty well. One of them doesn't. Purpose. I don't think you should work for a company you don't believe in. I don't think you should work for a company whose mission you don't buy into. I believe in drinking the Kool-Aid. And I realize that's like an unpolitical thing to say because of the whole Kool-Aid metaphor and what it goes back to. But like, if you're going to join a company and you don't drink the Kool-Aid, You must ask yourself the question, why am I here? Am Mm -hmm. I wasting my time? I don't Mm -hmm. believe in this company. I don't believe in the work I'm doing in this company. I don't believe in what product this company Mm -hmm. puts out. Mm -hmm. And a good reason to be at that company is the third P. I need the money. I have a family. I don't have the luxury of, you know, I live in, you know, some place in Alabama or some place in Ohio. And I don't have uh, businesses or like big tech companies around me that can hire me. So I'm relegated to what I've got, and what I've got is what I've got. And this pays my bills, and I'm going to be here. This is a perfectly good reason to be at a company, is if you don't have the people, you don't have the purpose, but you need the money. 
most, most times people will find that they don't have all three Ps. And by the way, if you have all three Ps, if you're in a company where you love the people, you love the purpose and it pays well, and the first two companies that come to mind, Google and Facebook. A lot of people I talk to there love the missions of the mission of these companies, right? Making the world more open and connected, making the, empowering the world with the information yeah. that is available to yeah. them all across the world. Like these are amazing missions, right? And the people that work in these companies are some of the best, most brilliant people in the world. Mm-hmm. But they also pay so well, which is why people don't leave these companies. Yeah. They've got all three of the P's. So when people say, oh, you know, like Facebook's just, you know, it's like a it's like a black hole of talent. Like people just go in there, they never come out. Well, they don't need to come out because they've got people like Luke Woods and Julie Zhu and like all these other people in this company that's, yeah. that, that, that are amazing leaders, right? Um, so anyway, my three P's, people, purpose, and pay, look Long and hard, if you don't have any of the P's, if you work with shitty people, you don't believe in the company mission, and they don't pay you well, uh, what's a good reason to be at this company? Okay, a, a good reason to be at that company is you need some experience before you move on to the thing that's actually gonna pay you well in a company you believe in. But um, I don't think people survive in those kind of companies yeah. too long. So those are the three P's. People, okay. purpose, pay. Cool. PPP. Mr. Arandu. I'm gonna keep saying that. because I, I, like I love it. Uh, what single message about diversity is most important to you? So I'm gonna answer this question from the perspective of a designer and someone who's currently recruiting for my design team. Mm. Um, When you are solving a problem for someone who you are not, you don't represent them, right? It's very, very, very hard to solve that problem well. You can say that you are empathizing, you can say that like you can observe their problem and and deduce the the, the core cruxes that need um, solutions, Mm. right? But you can never say that confidently. So the best way to build that confidence is to surround yourself with people who represent that audience. And you can do this in one of two ways, either in the people who you work with, fellow designers, um, or the people who you um, essentially have review your designs, in this Mm. case, um, customers, or uh, people who you bring into user research. And for me, that is just something that's always in the back of my head when I'm trying to scale a design team, right? It's making sure that I understand our audience, and I'm making sure that the people who are Mm -hmm. in in the position to decide what our solution looks like reflects that audience. And if I can't do that with the people who are on the team, I'm sure as hell going to do that with the people who we put our solutions in front of. Great. That's it. Okay. Your question to me. Cool. Um, So... You recently made the transition from design leadership to founder. Yeah. You've been a founder before, but it was a long time ago, so this transition is f- fresh again, right? Yeah. Um, what three things stuck out most to you during the series that you plan to apply in your new role? Um, what stuck out to me in the series that I plan to apply? Well, yeah. I'm in the orthodontia space, okay? Now, the first thing that I need to know, that you need to know about me, is I'm not a dentist or an orthodontist. So I can't be assumptive about whatever it is that I'm building. Mm-hmm. So most important thing is I know I need to first understand the people we're serving and the mm-hmm. problem we're trying to solve for. And the very first hire I made, and I would, I would say that it's because of everything we've learned through the process of talking to our guests, the very first hire I made is a neuroscience and behavioral science PhD out of Columbia to run our research. And Columbia University, that is. Um, and... Uh, she is amazing, and she's going to help me talk to people, bring people in, watch them use our product, mm-hmm. watch them as they fix their teeth, um, and we're going to learn. We're going to learn. I mean, we are going to outlearn our competition, and then we are going to outearn our competition. This is what we're going to do. Outlearn, outearn. I like outlearn, it. <laughs> outlearn, and outearn. Yeah. This is what we're going to do. But the way we learn is we set up the framework, we set up the tools, and we give people. Um, 
we give people the role uh, and manifesto to go out and want to learn in the first yeah. place. You need to make that a high-level, company-level decision. And yes. as a co-founder, I feel very happy and very proud to be able to, and, and all the co-founders completely agree uh, that this is something we need to do and completely agree that we need to understand the, yeah. the people we're serving. Um, but that, to me, is the number one thing. Research is so important. Do not be, don't be assumptious, presumptuous, and allow yourself to listen and grow. Okay. Okay? Yes. All right. I like it. My question to you, what books and resources have shaped your thinking? And I, and I, and I don't want to be specific to design because I think that's a little narrow-minded. Yeah. I, want you to, I want you to go a little bit broader. Well, that's fine because I don't actually own a lot of design books. Yay! <laughs> okay. um, so as a kid, my, my dad studied psychology and uh, physiology or... The other, the other P, the other Psy. Uh, psychiatry? No. Doesn't matter. Okay. He studied things that were not designed, okay. that had very big textbooks, that yes. were around the house that I read as a kid. Yeah. Um, and I got really interested in just learning how the mind works. Yeah. And I still have that interest. So it's why I love having conversations with people. I just love studying people. And I get a lot of books that surround those topics. So ones that stand out to me, there's this book that I recommend to anyone sure. who I meet. Um, it's called Pitch Anything. I love Pitch Anything. <laughs> it's a great yeah, book. Yeah, it is really. A, What's the okay. name of the author? I forgot his name, oh, but it's a great book. He's like a he. He's arrogant. Yes, but it's, he uh, yes. knows his shit. Yes. So you're you're kind of like, ah, okay, dude. It's so funny that right? you. Yeah, it's okay. funny that you okay. read this book. It's so great. in this book, I mean, okay, let me see if I can just get through some other recommendations. So. I just started Creative Competence yes. from um, from the Kelly Brothers. Yes. Is it both of them or Tom just Tom? and David Kelly, yeah, yes. The Kelly Brothers because yes. he gave us a signed copy and I feel like I have to read that book. So read that book if you just want to like build Creative Competence. Yeah. As far as like communication, which I think is one of the most foundational skills that you can have as a designer, this is a book to read. Yeah. Because a thing that I observe a lot of designers struggle with is they cannot talk to someone who is not a designer. Yes. Right? And this book teaches you how to talk to designers and everyone else in the world, yes. right? Yeah. Um, because it just breaks down the way that the mind actually works. Yes. If you are speaking with someone who you've never spoken to before, Love just it. primal instincts kick in to either fight or flight, yeah. right? They're either going to bounce and be like, eh, you know, like, yeah, I work it, and then leave. Yeah. Or they, they'll become argumentative because you said something that triggered them. Yeah. And this teaches you how to break that down, which is very critical for design reviews, for pitching big concepts to stakeholders. The, the list goes on. Yeah. So if if you were going to read one book, and it's actually a quick read, pitch anything. I love it. Great. Yes. All right. Next question. What's something you learned early in your career that has shaped the way you approach design and business today? When I was 11 years old, when I was like 10 or 11 years old, I, I was born and raised in Bombay in India, and I lived in this building with this elevator. And I, uh, I used to get home from school, and I used to draw Disney cartoons, and I used to jump in the elevator around 4.35 in the evening, right when the parents started coming home, and I used to wait for the parents to enter the elevator, and the moment the elevator doors closed, and the elevator slowly made its way up. This is in the 80s, and mm -hmm. you didn't have the best tech back then <laughs> on, on elevator tech. Uh, as, as the elevator made its way up, uh, in a very real sense, uh, I made an elevator pitch. And I tried to get parents to buy my Disney cartoons for their kids. And I had all these reasons why they should. Mm -hmm. And they were, they obliged and they gave me 10 rupees and 15 rupees. And I remember, and I bring up that story because I think the first thing I learned before I even understood that I was a designer, and you know, drawing cartoons makes me an artist, not a designer, mm -hmm. but um, I understood the value of knowing how to sell. 
And I think if you're getting in design, do not overlook that. Mm. The ability to convince people. Stephen Gates had this amazing quote in his episode where he says, uh, you don't present, you pitch, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. you don't, you present uh, like a factual thing. Mm-hmm. You present uh, a spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. You pitch things that people are subjective about. Yes. And you need to get them to believe yes why you, they should buy from you. Yeah. And I've always been pragmatic about business, I've always been pragmatic about money, that whatever I did in my life, I knew that making money was an important part of it because I also realized that not having money means you can't drive change. And by, and by having money, you can do whatever you want. You can be bad with it, you can be good with it. But when you're rich, when you, when you make money, um, you can use those dollars to, to affect change around you and help people or hurt people, I mean, depending on what your intent is. Anyway, that is a lesson I learned pretty early on mm. in my career mm. career is like mm-hmm. learning how to pitch. And then I think the- Career, this, life. Life, I mean life, <laughs> yeah. life, life, yeah. life, absolutely. And, yeah. then, and, and the second thing I'd say is, it's about the people, stupid. It's about the people. You've got to find the best people you can to work with. You need to be, you need to tailor who you surround yourself with. You need to edit the, your friends. Mm-hmm. You need to edit your your wife and, and husband. You need to edit your girlfriend, boyfriend. You need to edit, you can't edit your parents, so good luck there. <laughs> like you you need to yeah. you need to edit your coworkers. You need to edit everyone around you because you are the average of the five people you spend time with the most. And if you want to be the best in the world, you need to find the best in the world and spend time with them. This is, I, I truly believe in that. And this is not my saying. This is just an, a, a known thing. Like people, know, like it's just a science. There's a science to back this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, people are so important. And then on the back end of that, when you're in power, you know, when you when you've been given the reins and you control what people work on and how people work, empower them to learn and stumble and fall and learn from experience instead of babying them, giving them all the answers, mm-hmm. sheltering them, defending them. I don't believe in that now. I was raised by a military father, okay? Uh, so maybe you can point to that and say, well, your dad was a hard ass on you, which is why you're a hard ass on people. Well, fine. Um, we all have our, our, our baggage and our, and our backgrounds or whatever, right? But I really do believe that when you give people the opportunity to stand on their two feet without helping them, that most people will look to that, will take, take it upon themselves to survive, and will make it. And that is an that is the most valuable thing you can do to someone is just to get them to learn how to survive mm-hmm. and believe in, the, in themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you do that, and this is something I've learned early on, even when I manage people now, when I, when I put my teams together, I edit for that, I look for that. Are you feeling sorry for yourself? Are you down on yourself? Why? Let's get it back up, let's go. Yeah. You've got the best job in the fucking world. Are you kidding me? You're a designer. <laughs> you make things yeah. for a living, you're a creator. You get to manifest things that are in your mind and people buy it. How few people in the world have that power? Yes. That is a power. Once you realize that and you give people the tools to, to empower themselves and stand on their own two feet, I think you can change a lot of people's lives. So these are two things that I learned pretty early on. Those are great lessons. Great. Now, your question. Mm. Uh, do you build on strengths or rectify weaknesses uh, to make yourself more whole? In order to be more whole, you would have to work on the weaknesses. Mm. Right? Um, but it is trade-offs. So I would say I honestly do both. I, I don't think I pick one over the other. I think I go through phases though, um, and when I'm in a certain phase, I'm trying to I'm focusing on one or the other. So typically, when I'm making a transition, yeah. 
um, I'm trying to build up weaknesses. Yeah. Because what I tend to do is I try to put myself in situations where I feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And you feel uncomfortable when you are operating on your weaknesses. So you, in order for you to feel comfortable, you have to turn those weaknesses into strengths. Yeah. Um, however, there is some level of filtering. Some things you just know you are inherently never going to be good at mm-hmm. because it is just not you. Um, and those things, you discard them. And you are not making yourself less whole. You are realizing that that was never part of you to begin with. Yeah. Um, as far as strengths go, uh, you know, strengths can easily turn to weaknesses. So to maintain those, it's really just muscle memory. Yeah. So strengths that are core to me is communication. Um, the design execution, because in my position right now, I'm still doing it, right? Yeah. Um, so I have to be able to do it at the level that the company who's paying me wants it done at. Um, so next question for you, how do you approach personal development? Uh, I go ham. Dude, I'm serious, man. I'm serious. Oh, man. I, I've been I've been going ham on personal development like since I was like 14. Mm-hmm. I like I remember mm-hmm. moving to the states. I like I, I love working. I, I remember moving to the states in '99. I didn't even know what a green card was. You know, I was like 14 or something when I moved here. And I remember within the first month of me moving here, walking a mile down from my road out in Jersey, like a mile and a half to a Dunkin' Donuts to ask them if I can get a job there. They were like, great, give us your green card. I was like, what the fuck is a green card? <laughs> I, I, I was so yeah. sad when they told me that, oh, well, if you don't have a green card. By the way, I'm, I'm like not an illegal citizen or, I mean, illegal, <laughs> illegal alien. Um, my dad was here for, yeah. for you know, on, on uh, HB4, H4B, whatever that visa is called. Uh, but I wasn't legally allowed to work at 14. Um, Anyway, I, I just remember being so sad that I couldn't work. And this is why I got into design, by the way, because it was a way for me to make money without... I shouldn't say this on camera because the federal government's going to have all sorts of dirt on me. That's, That's funny. Anyway, um, uh, I, um, I really do believe that one of, the, one of my strengths is being able to pick up and drop hobbies. I don't get romantic about things. If I don't love it, I'm, I allow myself to get bored with things if I spend a lot of time on it. And so I've got this breadth, this library, this, this broad library of knowledge uh, where I go deep on very few things. But I can go really broad. Like I can have a you know, pretty intelligent conversation about a lot of things that I've read about or know about. Like right now I'm trying to understand social norms. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I don't know if you have a question on books that I'd recommend. Like one of the books I'd recommend is uh, uh, Predictably Irrational. And I'm, I'm reading this book. Dan Ariely is like an, an amazing author on the subject. Um, Anyway, I'm, I'm reading about social norms, but that's not the only book I'm reading. I'm reading all sorts of things. I'm, I followed a bunch of podcasts on the topic. You know, I watch YouTube videos on it. I read about it, uh, and I try and digest it mm-hmm. uh, in ways that I know how to consume the information mm-hmm. and in ways that it makes it sticky for mm-hmm. me. Um, but I do this for everything. Two years ago, I wanted to pick up guitars, so I bought guitars. But the way I bought guitars is seven years ago, I wanted to get into photography. So I sold all of my photography equipment from the last seven years ago, and I... And I pooled all that money and I bought a bunch of guitars and I taught myself how to play guitar, right? Like this is what I do, I like trade hobbies. So I bought into cameras and now I just use the same money I used seven years ago for photography on everything else. So after guitars, if I get into something else, I'll sell my guitars and I'll buy something else, right? Like whatever yeah, my next like thing is. it's like one fun. Yeah, but, but, I, but I'm not romantic about yeah. it. I just, I just want to learn, I just want to grow and, and I, like, when, I, when I get serious about something, like being able to ask great questions. Good, le- good Leaders Ask Great Questions mm-hmm. is a great book, by the way, by John C. Maxwell, yes. okay? Um, Understanding how to ask questions is so important. There's so many resources out there. There's literally nothing you cannot learn about if you're willing to Google it, if you have the motivation to learn about it. You can Google it and you can find 
Wikipedia articles on it. You can find news stories on it. You can find videos around it. There, you, don't, you literally don't have to go to university, university for more, most things today yeah. if you're willing to just put in that time. So personal development, I'm very serious about it. I'm gung-ho about it. I go ham on it, but I, I'm not romantic about anything, and I try a lot of stuff. I drop a lot of stuff, and then I, I, I pick what I like and go deep on it. That's kind of where I go. Okay. All right. Go ham. Go ham. Um, okay, your, your next question. What bothers you the most about this design industry? And how would you fix it? Most. What bothers uh, you? One thing. The yeah. one thing that bothers you the most about the design industry. Okay. So something that irritates me a lot is people not proposing solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's funny that we have a name for it, Design Twitter. Mm. We branded it. Um, but on this thing that we call Design Twitter, there's a lot of uh, very quick reactions to yes. things. I felt the wrath of this. Oh, yeah. We felt it ourselves in the show, like yeah. two or three times. What was our show called before it was called? It was called Harvard? Weaponized Design. Do you remember the shitstorm that, yeah, we, that ensued yeah, because of it? Yeah, felt like I was digitally killed. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, you know, I remember even when that happened, like the thing I was constantly asking was like, Suggestions, yeah. right? Not suggested names, but like approaches. Like, how would you approach this, yeah. right? Um, and what's funny is, oftentimes when you respond to anyone with like, "Give me a suggestion," or like, "Do you have a do you have a solution in mind?" A lot of them get quiet, yeah. right? Um, and I just I remembered when I was a kid. So something about me that I don't, you know, most people don't know. When I was a kid, I had a really, really bad stuttering problem Mm. up until I was about six. Wow. And I remember I had an aunt who just really, really invested in me. She was like, I'm, this is gonna, this is gonna end. I remember my parents were like, yeah, that's just gonna be him for the rest of his life. Mm. And um, I, it made made me very, very shy Mm. um, and very close. I didn't talk to anyone. Um, But what I actually learned in that insecurity of speech is being very particular about when I decided to speak. Right. And I only decided to speak when I felt I had something to say. Awesome. And having something to say says that you have substance to that thing, awesome. right? So on Twitter, specifically, right, there is a lot of things that are said within the design community yeah. that does not need to be said. Yeah. And there are a lot of conversations that are worth digging into, but the people who dig into them do not have any substance, yeah. right? And for me, if you are going to say something, or counteract something, come prepared with a counter. Whether it is a suggestion, a proposal, a known solution because you've been in this situation before and you've vetted it, Mm -hmm. right? Or you're opening up the discussion to find a solution together. Right. That's it. If you don't have any of those things, don't fucking say anything. Right. Right? And that is one of my biggest frustrations. And the thing is, you can actually take the inherent problem there and apply it to design and its perception within the workplace. Yeah. Designers, we are very, 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 um, you know, emotionally responsive, yeah. naturally, right? Yeah. And a lot of this stems from the ego that we have in the work that we do. Yeah. And then you see that manifest sometimes in the workplace where someone has an issue with your idea. And before you actually want to understand the issue and figure out, maybe it's go ahead and like validate a little bit more and come back with a proposal, you're ready to defend something that is indefensible, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah, that's just... I'm flaring up right now, right? Like that that irritates me, right? Yeah. And um, can I just make a comment? Yeah. You know what you're really good at though is like I mean, you you've you've like at least held my hand through this when I first felt the wrath of of design Twitter is like <laughs> I remember you calling me up saying, "Bobby, do not engage." 
<laughs> like my, like my, as I said, you know, I'm an, yeah. if you guys believe in Myers-Briggs and stuff, like I'm an ENTP. Like one of the character traits of an ENTP is we love to debate. And like one of the things that you've just taught, you taught me very early on when I started getting into Twitter, like really getting into Twitter uh, last year, and you were like, dude, this shit happens all the time. The worst thing you can do is try to be right. Yeah. Shut the fuck up. You know, let it slide. Don't. And I'm like yelling at you on the phone. I'm like, yeah, but they're wrong. Like, yeah. here's why. Yeah. You know what? High resolution is still a better name than weaponized design. Yeah. But, but, but yeah. Um, it's sorry. Like you, yeah. You have to. You have to pick those. Right. You You're can't right. fight all of them. You're right. And when you pick the ones, pick the ones that you can debate, not argue. Yes. Right? I've gotten better because of you. Is what I'm saying. Like you've 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 given me you've given me. Um, uh, you, you're, you, you've taught me to, to find the ones that are not necessarily winnable, but worthable. Yes. Like the ones that are worth it. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the last thing I'd say, because my first argument was like, come with a proposal. Yes. Um, there's an exercise that I have anytime I'm deciding whether to, uh, like that something is worth it. Yeah. Um, I actually try and force myself to think about solutions. Yes. <laughs> right? If I cannot think of something, I will respond. There, there's, if you send me an email, a DM, a tweet, whatever, I will always respond. It's a rule I made for myself because I don't like when people don't to me, right? Yep. Um, but I will respond with a solution or a proposal if I have one. If I don't have one, I will say, you are right or let us continue talking, right? And then that's it. Yes. Um, and one more thing I'd suggest is reread. Yes. Fucking like like tweets. Just, right? just reread. <laughs> reread. No, no, not even just the thing that Emails. you were going to say. Totally. The thing that you are responding to. Yes. You don't realize ah. how many times I see someone respond to something that they clearly did not. Like it's read, an emotional right? impulse as yeah. opposed to like yeah. a rational yeah. reaction. Even like you know the, yeah. we have a bonus episode coming. Yeah. And like in this thing we we asked people on Twitter for um for questions. Yeah. To ask the questions they have for us. For us to answer That's in right. that interview. That's right. And we got a lot of responses of suggested guests. Yes, yes. Right? People aren't and I'm reading. Like, I love that you're suggesting guests, but that's that wasn't our question. Yeah. You know? I want your question. Yeah. I don't want to guess. Just read it. The season's done. Just just, just read what was said before yeah. you respond. Yeah. Thanks again to Squarespace for supporting the show. Squarespace is the all-in-one platform to get a domain, create a website, or build an online store. They make it simple to manage your online store and inventory process orders, print packaging slips, and customize emails. Squarespace has powerful marketing tools. They ensure that search engines can find your store online, provide real-time analytics to help you gain customer insights, and let you connect with your customers on Facebook, Twitter, and more. If you've been thinking about starting your own online store, visit squarespace.com and enter the offer code HIGHRESOLUTION, that's one word, to get 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace. We'd also like to thank our friends at Envision for their support. Envision is the world's leading product design platform, powering the future of digital design through their understanding of the importance of collaboration. They're used by some of the most innovative companies in the world, like Facebook, Capital One, Netflix, and Airbnb. I work with remote teams all the time, and I found that keeping a healthy dialogue is really important. Without it, building strong work relationships gets a lot harder, and that leads to poor collaboration. I've also found that prototypes are a great way for me to show my full vision for a design, and this helps cut down a lot of back and forth. Envision makes all of this really easy. You can rapidly prototype your designs and collaborate across every stage of your project, taking your ideas from concept to code. It simplifies virtually every aspect of the design workflow and makes collaboration a core part of the process for everyone, from project managers to designers, developers, and writers. 
Teams that build digital products are at a serious advantage when they use Envision's suite of prototyping and collaboration tools. It's the best way to get everyone on board. Visit envisionapp.com slash high resolution for three months free. Who are your mentors and what have you learned from them? Yeah, and You don't Jared. have to give me all. No, 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 I have no mentors. I have no mentors. <laughs> I know, I'm serious. Uh, like I have no physical mentors, people that mm -hmm. I've talked to that mm -hmm. I consider to be mentors. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is like for the last couple of years, it's something that I actually regret mm -hmm. uh, because mentors can, can shorthand you to a lot of good places if you just have the right questions to ask. Yeah. I just never made the time to find someone worthwhile. Um, but I will say this. Uh, I think mentors are second best to this thing that is even better to getting to growing you and giving you answers, which is uh, experience. And that's where I've spent my time. I've just been experiencing things. Mm -hmm. I've, been, I've mm -hmm. been doing mm -hmm. things. I throw myself two feet in. on Like high resolution is a great example. Yeah. I mean, we had no video background. We had, we've never done podcasts before. I've never done this interview style thing before. This mm -hmm. is the first time I've interviewed. You know, it's so funny when people say, yeah, you sound like a robot when you interview people. You know, like when they say that on YouTube, they're 100% right. I'm sure I sound like a robot. But um, I've just I've never done it before. Like, but but I'm worth like it's I'm willing to try, right? And I think more than mentorship, look for experience ship, which is not a word. But like, look for experiences, yeah. things that you can do and learn from. Now, if you want a mentor, and you actually touched on this in your previous answer, if you want a mentor, don't look for famous names and fancy names. You're probably not going to get those people. What you want to do is you want to know like specifically where you want to grow. Right? Like, what is it? Like, what are the actual questions that you have? Mm -hmm. um, not just, hey, you know, Tom Kelly's my mentor. Like, I'm so famous. You know, I'm like, yeah. no. You want to you want to figure out what it is that you want to learn and grow in, and then you want to find people. And this is what you touched on. Then you want to find people who actually have real experience when they when they give you insight and feedback and they give you advice. The follow up question is, how do you know? How do you know that that is the way I should do things? And if their response isn't from personal experience, they're probably not going to be a good yes. mentor to you. Yes. You want to find people that have done the thing, that have experienced. And there's so few people that are willing to be mentors that you can reach out to mm -hmm. that will spend the time with you. So the better thing to look for is not handicap yourself by saying, I don't have any mentors, so I'm not going to grow. Grow through experience. Mm -hmm. That is the fastest and surest way to learning and finding the answers you want to do. You, you want answers to. Mr. Arandu. What important ideas have you had to understand to get to where you are today as quickly as you did? And I don't think a lot of people realize how old you are, which I don't know if you're okay with saying this, but how old are you? 22. And I mean, you've experienced so much. So what stuff have you had to understand so early in your career to get to where you are? As a designer, understanding that I'm only as good as the people I surround myself with. So... I always try to find myself in situations where I was not the smartest person in the room. Yeah. And I think a lot of people say this, and to some people it sounds like a cliche, but honestly I think a lot of cliches are, cli are they're said for a reason, right? Sure. And there's absolute truth in this. If you are the smartest person in the room, you are not growing. Yeah. You can't grow because there's no one there that can compete with you. If you are not and you have the ability to listen and to learn, you will grow from those people. Um, that was actually the second thing I learned. I had to teach myself how to learn yeah. because <clears throat> I didn't have formal design education. I went into design while I was in high school, yeah. um, actually in middle school. I started off as a writer, transitioned to design, um, and uh, <laughs> everything I, I, I know today was through trial and error. Yeah. And I realized that I had to understand the way that I personally learned 
and try and optimize my experiences around that. Right. Um, so, you know, if you if you learn by seeing or by doing or by reading or by repeating, you optimize for situations where that is what you're going to be experiencing the most amount of your time. Yeah. Because if not, then you may think that you are learning by the experiences, but you are actually not, yes. right? Um, it's almost like when you're working out, right? There are ways to work out where you can continue going to the gym and you will never see progress, mm. right? Because you need to understand how your body works. What food do you need? Where are you um, nutritionally deficient, right? Mm. And you find those things. It's not the same for everyone. Mm. So understanding how you personally learn and optimizing for that, very critical. And I'm glad that I learned this early because yeah. I don't think, um, I think a lot of the experiences I now have, I would not have had yeah. if I did not catch this early in my career. Um, I'd say one last thing is just understanding the importance of knowing what motivates other people. Yes. This has helped me a lot from landing contracts or, or jobs that I otherwise would not have been able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, growing teams. I remember when I was younger, it was very, very difficult to grow teams um, because of my age. Yeah. Like I faced a lot of ageism, right? It's like, well, <laughs> you're a kid, right? You're 19. Stop yeah. trying to lead design. Exactly, here, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and when you when you understand what motivates people, yeah, um, you can pretty much guide the conversation anywhere you want, yeah. right? Um, but only do that if you feel that you can actually deliver on the thing that motivates that individual. There's an earthquake going on right now, by the way. Is there really a very light one? Keep that on camera. But that was fun. Okay, I I, I felt a very light like quite. Now now I'm like. Without freaking out. It's all right. We're in a perfectly safe building <laughs> yeah. in the middle of San Are Francisco. We, we're like 20 yeah. stories high. Like, Keep okay. going. Sorry. I didn't mean to yeah, cut you off. It's fine. All right. Um, but yeah, when, when you know what motivates people, yeah. it's it's great. And that that honestly comes from empathy. Yes. Like when, when you're sitting in a conversation, you're not focusing on yourself. You're trying to really understand yeah. that individual, right? And when you know those things um, and you start speaking to those things, it becomes very apparent to them that you care and that you listen. And I think a lot of the strong relationships I built, whether it was um, me being grown by someone or me growing someone or me collaborating with something, yeah. someone, stemmed from that, right? Um, me recognizing what motivates them and doing my best to push those things forward and then realizing that I realized those things yeah. and actually building a trust and a relationship with me. Um, and I think those three things, in addition to a whole bunch of things, definitely play, played a huge role in um, my career. Yeah, you know, and, and what strikes me is it's easy to say that I got lucky. I hate that answer. So the, the, the thing with luck is that it exists. It does, Def- but, it's not, but it's not the but, primary thing, Yeah. right? And you know, people say like you can create your own luck. What they're actually saying is that you made the effort, right? You, you created the circumstances and put yourself in a position to capitalize yeah. on a moment. Yes. And that moment happened and then you grabbed it. Yeah, and, and there's a word for that. That's an opportunist. That's right. right? You're an opportunist. I love it. And I, I love people that are opportunists, yeah. by the way. Those are the, that's the kind of person I want to work with. Yeah. Next question. I've now worked directly with you for the last eight months. I've known you for six, seven years, but like this is the first time we've worked together. Yeah, like I I slept in your house for like three weeks. Yeah. I I know you, I know your wife, I know your baby. That's right. Your baby loves me. Yes, she does. (laughs) She pokes my forehead. (laughs) Um, One thing I've noticed is your lack of fear when it comes to new territory. Yeah. Um, How do you approach new terrains and adapt so quickly? I'm not fearless. It's scary as shit doing something new, mm-hmm. but it's so exciting, right? You kind of trade off your survival instincts. What's the worst that can happen, right? And if the worst that can happen is you embarrass yourself a little bit, well, what's the best that could happen? I learn something new and I find out I could be this like 
TV personality, <laughs> holy yeah. shit, like the, yeah. the upside way outweighs the downside, yeah. right? Like, all right, I might embarrass myself a little bit, but what if I'm good at this? Like, what if I actually, like, this might, this could be a thing, you and I doing this as a show, right? Like, uh, season two could be a thing, season three could be a thing. People might be learning a lot. The upside is we give back to the community, right? So it's not a question of fearlessness, it's a question of just, you're doing the math on a, on a thing. And you're saying, what's the worst that could happen, what's the best that could happen? If the worst that could happen here is my career tanks, I'm probably not gonna take that risk. It doesn't make any sense, like it makes no mm-hmm. sense to me mm-hmm. to do a, you know, a side mm-hmm. project that could hurt me for a very long time, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not fearlessness, it's measured courage, mm. all right? Interesting, opportunity cost. It's opportunity cost, yeah. right? Um, it's but it's measured courage. I'm not saying like I don't have courage for everything. You put me in front of ten thousand people, and you know where Steve Gates talks about getting in front of ten thousand people and talking, and he had to build up to that. It's not normal. Like we're not built to stand in front of ten thousand people and speak, okay? And it, like before the show started, I was nervous. I'm nervous now. We're nervous before every interview when we talk to people. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure I'm saying the right things. More importantly, I want to make sure we're adding value to people watching this, right? And so. You kind of just need to put yourself in situations and and watch how you react to those situations. Yeah, yeah. And so, what you're what you're what you're, you're I think what you're talking about is my game face. I've got a game face, but I'm not not scared under that game face. I've just got the courage to go through it as long as the upside outweighs the downside. So it's all opportunity cost in assessing that. Yeah. Here's my question to you. All right. Um, what myths or misnomers about the design line of work would you caution the next wave of designers against? Um, so one myth, and this is not even just about design, this is just about life in general, is that there are there is an absolute answer to every question. Yeah. Um, when you enter a new industry, career, terrain, it's it's understandable why you will have a set number of questions yeah. that you feel if you get absolute answers to, you're set. Because it's, um, it's clarity. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's clarity. And that's the, that's the very empowering thing. It's like, I know what this is. I know what I need to do next. That's right. The thing is, within design, um, there is a lot of stuff that the supposed greats and leaders of this industry have still yet to figure out. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you ask someone a question in design, about design, like how do I you know, get to where you are in this amount of time or whatever, the answer is never going to be clear, yeah. right? Um, but one common thing that you can always pull from someone's answer is that you at least have to try, right? So if you ask me, um, what should my process be? Yeah. You are gonna give, if, sorry, if someone asked me that question, I'm going to give them a different answer than, than you. There might be some, um, some, some thematic overlap, but the actual delivery is going to be different. Yep. And if they operate on your answer, they are now embodying Bobby's process. If they operate on mine, they're embodying Jared's process. But you, your process is not better than mine. My process is not better than yours. They're different. Yes, right? yes. Um, and a designer who's coming in needs to understand that, yeah. right? That just about any, any question you're going to come with, likely it's a gray area when it comes to the answer, right? But the constant is trying. Try yours. Maybe it works. Yeah. Try mine. Maybe it works, right? And as you're trying all these different things, you're going to figure out what works and what does not work in your situation. And then guess what? You're going to come up with your own. Yeah. And then five or ten years later, someone else is going to come and ask you, like, all right, so what should my process be? And you're like, well, it depends. But yeah. I can tell you what mine is and, like, blah, 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 right? Yeah. 
Um, and I think that's very empowering because you don't get let down when you hear these kinds of answers anymore, right? When you hear someone say, I really don't know, man. I really don't know. Or like, you know, you can try this. Like, I see some of their faces drop like, oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still got to figure this out, right? And it's like, yeah, you're right. You have to. And the best way for, do, for you to do that is to, to figure is to try yeah. and figure it out. Yeah. Um, and yes, that's just very empowering. I think another um, myth is uh, <laughs> that designers have gotten their seat at the table. Okay, I love it. Great. <laughs> um, this was like a hot thing. Yeah. Like a year or two years ago. That was a, right? it was a big thing for this. I mean, yeah, that's true. It was said a few times in this series yeah, as well. Yeah, of course. Um, so, one, the, who, who the fuck, who comes up with these, who comes up with these yeah, things? Yeah. I really want to know. Design like, just like, but like, who actually said it first? I'm really curious. Yeah. Anyway, um, this figurative table that we've been speaking about now yeah. for like a quarter of a decade, yeah. right? Um, you know, the analogy I, I give people is like, if you think about like a dinner table, yeah. and you, um, you walk up to a dinner table, and there are three people sitting there, right? And they are speaking a language that you do not understand. I don't speak French, so let's just pick French, right? They're all speaking French, and I speak English. Yeah. I can technically sit down at that table. Yeah. And I'm now a part of the table. Yeah. <laughs> no one's ever going to care what I say, though. Sure. They literally cannot understand me, because and I cannot understand language. them, yeah. right? So yeah, I have a seat. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not exactly enjoying the company. Yeah. Right. Um, I think we've gotten there. I think we now have a person in companies that have some understanding of design sitting at this table that we like to speak about, right? They are not yet being heard, and they are not hearing the other people. Yes. And the reason why is because we are fundamentally speaking a different language. Yeah. The language that everyone else at this, speak, uh, this table is speaking is business. Yeah. And the language that we are speaking is a very, very old definition of design. Yes. Right? And Classical the thing design. And the thing that's missing from that definition is business and goals. Yes. Right? Yes. Now, as designers, we love to say the word empathy. It's like our fucking favorite word. Yeah. We start every single answer with em- empathy. Right? Yeah. So if we truly embody empathy yeah. in this scenario, it will say that we are the one who will try and learn enough French yes, to start yes, speaking yes, yes. Yeah. rather than waiting for them to understand our language. Right. And in this situation, it's actually a double plus because now we are actually going to be able to converse. And the thing that we're learning is actually something that is fundamental for us to learn. Yeah. Business. Yeah. Right? So once someone's like, oh, yeah, you know, like designers finally got their seat at the table, bullshit. We got a seat. We are not yet being heard. Yeah. Right? And the thing for us to do now is to be heard. Yeah. And the thing that is missing from our language is business. Yes. Wow. I completely agree with that. <laughs> Sorry. Got a little. Got, you got, got heated. Little, yeah. You're flushed. I am. How you I doing? Am. I'm doing good. You doing all right? I'm doing great. All right. Ask me my question. All right. All right. When a designer asks you for book recommendations, what are your top three picks? I love audiobooks. I listen to audiobooks, and I read a lot of books. So okay. I'm a voracious reader. I drop books that I'm, I'm like incompletely, you know, I, I pick up books that I don't finish, that sort of thing. But uh, I'm not going to recommend design books per se. Actually, I might recommend one bonus design book. But here are three quick books, okay? The first is uh, Creativity, Inc. Okay. okay, okay. Why Creativity, Inc.? Ed Catmull wrote this book. He co- co-authored it. Ed Catmull is... Uh, a co-founder of Pixar, Mm -hmm. and this entire book is a case study on how the greatest design company in the world, Pixar, not Apple, Pixar, they really are one of the great design companies, how they began to understand 
how delicate of a microcosm a team is and like how they how they framed everything to cater to the best possible variation of a mm. team where they talk about you know it's about mm. the people yeah. not the idea you focus on the people you edit the people the idea comes to you you give mediocre people a great idea they they butcher it you give mediocre ideas to great people they'll make something of it right and they go there is just case study after case study i was sad when this book was over <laughs> creativity inc if you haven't read it this is one of the best business books ever written and it really is a business book it's not a design book it's a business book about how a business should be run and it's got these rich stories of creation uh, and failure and questioning and heated argumentation mm. and process augmentation this all these really interesting angles of business that people don't talk about that fundamentally really are rooted the bedrock of all of these things is if you design it well you will create a great company okay the second book uh is uh the 10 faces of innovation by mm-hmm. tom kelly why the 10 faces well 10 faces of innovation will show you uh, if you're a designer or really any contributor to a product team it'll show you a spectrum of responsibilities that you might not know exist on a team and that you might be good at one of those things and you don't have to be a designer you can be a anthropologist. You can be an organizer. You can be a set designer, a stage designer, right? You can be the manager. Every single role on the spectrum of product creation is defined in this book. And if you're looking for ways out of your current role and you want to know if there's something else out there for you, Tom Kelly does an amazing job at the 10 faces of, of innovation. Predictably Irrational is an amazing book. You must read this book. I'll, I'll, one more time, I'm going to tell you why. Okay? Predictably Irrational goes through the difference between social norms and market norms. We expect what we think is predictable to be market norms. If I asked you, uh, hey, can you help me with something, uh, and I don't offer a sum, you will help me and feel good about it. But if I paid you $30 right after you helped me, you'd be insulted by it. Mm. Well. Market norms dictate binaries, right? Zero is, one is better than zero. I'm giving you $30. You are $30 richer because you helped me. You should be happier, but you're not happy. Why is that? Because there's something called social norms, the way the mind works, where we are predictably, we act irrational predictably, right? This book makes, Dan Ariel is an amazing author. He's a researcher, and he just goes case after case after case around what you thought should happen, what actually does happen, and why, Mm. right? Why is this book important? If you're in design, you need to understand, A, you don't know what people are going to do when they Mm -hmm. use your product, okay? People are irrational. Yes. The the moment you think you have the answers, and, and Daniel Burke touches on this in his interview, the worst thing you can do is be assumptive and think you've got the answers. The best thing you can do is just watch people learn from them. And this book will give you the, 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 the recipe not of how to watch. It will give you the recipe to understand that you don't have all the mm-hmm. answers. right? And I, and, I, and I really like this book. And the bonus book is by Mike Montero. It's called Design is a Job. Every single designer in the world needs to read this book. If you're a student, you need to read this book. If you're a freelancer, if you're an age, if you own an agency, if you work at Google, you need to read this book because Montero, in these many pages, I don't know what these many is, but in the thinnest possible <laughs> yeah. books, lays out the case for how to think like a designer and a business person. How to get your money from clients, how to pitch clients, what kind of clients to pitch, what kind of jobs to take, how to say no to jobs, mm-hmm. right? How to think about your work and the impact of your work. In in so few pages, he lays the most pragmatic uh, 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 insights and context around what a designer's job is. So these are the books I'd recommend. Okay. Okay. Uh, so you weren't you didn't go to school. No. Like we have that in 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 uh, common. In, in common. Um, but I wonder if you feel like. You, 
people coming out of school, like what knowledge do they have that might take you some time to learn? And what knowledge do you have because you didn't go to school? Uh, and this might just be a rehash of everything we've talked about, but what knowledge do you have that's going to sure. take them uh, a long time to learn? Yeah, so something I felt early in my career that, um, something I felt was the lack of principles, like yeah. knowing the principles. Yeah. And those foundational principles you learn in design education yeah. or just in college, period. Like if you take any sort of design technology course. Um, so things like... Uh, you know, typography, hierarchy, white space, all these things are still foundational. Yeah. Right? When you're far into your career, it's muscle memory. Yeah. So you, if you are far into your career and you're hearing me say this, it's like, oh, those are not, really... no, they are. Yeah. It's just that you can do them with your eyes closed now, so it doesn't feel like anything anymore. Yeah. But when you're starting out, you can feel the absence of that knowledge. And I felt it. It was a lot of late night reading, trying to figure things out, um, finding products and services that I liked, and recreating those things pixel for pixel so that I can just build the muscle memory of that thing. Yeah. And then ask people who know, right? But I felt that I could have gotten a head start on that and probably spent the time I um, spent focusing on learning principles, learning other things, had I just came into my career with those things. Yeah. Um, as far as something I feel like I learned by not going to uh, design education um, that I feel people coming out can learn or should learn is how to work with non-designers. Mm. Um, because oh, that's such a good one. I was thrown into it. Yeah. Right? My, first, uh, my first ever role as a non-writer was at, um, well, my company yeah. <laughs> years ago. And yeah. I was working with two technical co-founders. Yeah. And I was the only designer, right? And they were like, you design and we build everything else. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I had to quickly learn how to work with them. You know, I had to understand deadlines. I had to understand understand how to give them assets that they can translate <laughs> into product. Yeah. They were like, hey, that's not fucking possible, man. Yes. No, that's actually not possible, right? Yeah. Like, you need to change that, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I can't remember if we spoke about it in this episode or not, but the, the what happens when you're just surrounded by designers is you understand designers yes. and no one else. Yes. But in order for any thing that you design to actually get out there into the world, there are a lot of other kinds of people involved. Yes. And if you don't know how to work with these people, nothing will ever get across the line. Yeah. Right? And if they do, they'll get, it, they'll get it across the line without you. Yeah. Right? And I could see why it would take so long to understand this. Yes. Right? Because most people, I mean, most companies don't even give designers the opportunity to reach across the aisle and work yeah. with other people because they don't understand that it's fundamental for designers to be able to do exactly. that. Exactly. Right? They're treated sometimes as like a, like an agency within the company. Yeah, right? they got they're a room. Put they, in, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. They're like, oh, those are the designers. Look yeah. how they dress. They have yeah. like those, like, you know. Yeah. And um, I think that's something that I learned okay. um, by just being thrown into it. And that's I think great. it's something that I it would have taken me a while to learn had I come from an environment of not being surrounded by those kinds of people. All right. Yeah. Um, so next question for you. So outside of resources like high resolution, um, what else can we be doing as a design community to shape the next generation of product people? Uh, and you can bucket high resolution into video series, podcasts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is. I mean, video series, podcast, books uh, are important. I think experience is important. I think being intentional. You know what? It, it, something that isn't obvious that I think would be most useful uh, here um, is don't bucket yourself into a specific kind of vertical to design for. Like mm. if you say things like, I'm an app designer, mm -hmm. you're you're secluding yourself from a world of possibilities. You know, there's you should be open to working in any kind of business on any kind of problem. And the thing that you should be focusing your 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 time on is understanding how to solve problems, how to talk to people, how to observe people. Mm -hmm. Right? So resources, I think you should you should co-mingle 
with people that are not designers and try and understand, like under, reach out to a salesperson. Try and sell something. Mm. Don't just talk to a salesperson. Honestly, try and sell something. Go out there and, and make a pitch. See if anyone would buy the shit that you want to sell, right? And it might be good shit that you can't sell, but now you know you can't sell. It's something you should grow into, right? So I think the best thing you can do is just experience things that really, like I, I, I don't believe in just reading books and just mm. talking to people. I think you've got to throw yourself into something and again, do the do the um, what's the what's the word I use there? The measured courage. Mm-hmm. Do the measured courage thing as long as it doesn't tank your career, doesn't hurt you physically, doesn't harm people around you. Um, do it. Throw yourself into okay. it and learn. So, from it. so that that is something that a person can do for themselves, yes. which is good. Yes. And I agree with that. Um, but what is something that we can do as a design community, right? Whether oh, this is right. you or stop, or stop patting each other on the back. Huh. Okay. Stop patting each other. I'm so fucking sick of it, Darren. <laughs> I'm seriously, I'm, I'm done with it. Yeah. I cannot, if I see one more goddamn tweet about let's give this guy, you know, kudos for trying something, he hasn't, this person hasn't done anything, okay? Like, let's stop giving people kudos. Do you realize I literally just interviewed someone for my current company, my new company, who was one of 14 valedictorians? I didn't know in her school, in her graduating class. I literally did not know that was a thing. And I asked her, I was like, what do you mean you were? <laughs> well, she said she was a valedictorian. I said, so tell me about the speech that you gave. She said, well, I didn't give the speech. She was like, well, valedictorians give the speech. She was like, yeah, but I was one of 14. I was like, how is that possible? She said I had a 4.0 GPA. At what wow. point, when did the world move from a single person leading the valedictorian stage to now having anyone with a 4.0? <laughs> Stop patting people on the back. Stop yeah. giving out those trophies. Stop thinking you're special, right? That's the best thing you can do, uh, just as a human being, not just for the design industry, right? Um, that came from a place of aggravation. I'm sorry. I want. I like. I'm just. I'm just. I love I'm just. I'm sick. I'm sick of it. Yeah. I'm. Si- I'm done with it. All right. Why? Because it doesn't grow you. It doesn't grow you. You know. Um, so Dan Dan Petty has this, his new Dan Petty show, and in his first show, he touched on this, and I, I love that he did this, where he said. Uh, uh, if all you're looking for, I'm sorry, Dan, I'm going to butcher this, but if he said, if all you're looking for is positive feedback, it'll grow your ego. Hmm. If all we do is give people positive feedback, it'll grow their ego. So you really want to give people candid feedback. You want to be, you want to, the radical candor, right? Sheryl Sandberg, I think, wrote the book on it. No, it wasn't Sheryl Sandberg. It was someone that worked for her. Anyway, um, radical candor is a very important part of growing people around you. Stop patting people on the back. You're not doing them any favors. You're you're upsetting them for the environment that they're not going to be equipped to deal with. Mm. Business people don't give a shit about designers. Salespeople don't give a shit about designers. Engineers despise designers in most companies. Okay, we are a roadblock to getting things done. We are an expense. We are an L on a P and L statement. Okay, we are a loss. Okay, stop patting each other on the back. Give each other some radical candor. Grow each other, and. Hopefully it'll subside egos, and as an industry, we're gonna we're, we're gonna move forward. Mr. Arandu. Yes. Money not being an issue, is there something else you'd rather be doing right now instead of being a designer? Oof. This is the last question, by the way. We're at the last yeah. question. So. Yeah. Okay. So money not being an issue, and also skill or ability to do the thing not being an issue. I would want to be a musician. Mm-hmm. Because oh, that's right. You you were trained in the violin, right? Viola. Viola. Yeah. I mean, really, really close. So you're completely fine. <laughs> um, my dad 
my dad uh, is a self-taught viola is just a slightly bigger violin let's be it clear. is it is <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just be. And, and i mean other things but yes um yeah so my dad's like a yeah. self-taught like trained per- professional pianist yeah and as a kid he tried to teach me piano and my dad has a military upbringing so he is very 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 rigid about stuff yeah i remember him trying to teach me the piano and piano is all about like you know a big part of it is actually just like your form with your hands, yeah. right? And a lot of people have very sloppy form. So I remember he was trying to teach me good form by putting, mind you, I was like five, putting like a raw egg in my hand and telling me that like, if you drop the egg and mess up my piano, you're paying for my piano. Mm-hmm. Five-year-old kid, I'm like, love it. I love no, it. I'm not, but okay, right? Yeah. Um, to teach me that form. Yeah. And I think, you know, as happens, parents, when they try and teach their kids stuff, kids either love it or they hate it. It's never yeah. in between. And I kind of like just rebelled and I abandoned the piano and I actually picked up the viola in revolt. Yeah. I was like, let me pick up an instrument that you do not know how to play yeah. so that I can learn without you teaching it to me, right? But um, I didn't abandon that. I just kind of like just stopped uh, after a certain while. Um, but it's always this thing. When I hear um, an orchestra play or I see a pianist sit down, I just envy them. I'm, I'm in like, awe of an I'm like, yeah. I, I want that. And yeah. the thing that irritates me is that I know that I can do it yeah. if I decided to do it because I did it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I actually did the it's thing. From experience, you know? yeah. Um, so yeah, if I, if I could just like be like peace out design. Yeah. It was music, man. I travel yeah. the world. Which is, a, which is a kind of design. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, but if we're talking about like digital design, get, operating out of sketch, yep, I would be operating. Dude, I would, a, I would, I would pay to watch you play. I'm serious. Like, pay me, uh, and then we can like go find a violin and I'll play real quick. Great. How much are we talking? I, I do some guitar. Okay. Uh, like yeah. sad, like stupid acoustic. Yeah, 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 that kind yeah. of guitar. Depressing. Yeah. Let's All do right. it. Cool. <laughs> All right, final, final question. Let's do this, Jared. I'm going to take my glasses off. For okay. It. Final. We're at Last the end question. of the show. Goodness. It's so been a long journey. So envision one of our sponsors. Love them. They did this amazing thing where every Tuesday they would help us um, push our most recent episode, and they had amazing copy, yeah. button copy for every for every guest. I can't yes. even remember. Well, just like just go through our Twitter. Yeah. Um, but this leads to my question. Okay. You used to take a screenshot of them from your phone yeah. and tweet them because I love their writing. Yeah. Their buttons are so awesome. And the most predictable first reply to any of those tweets was how great their writing is. No. Why do you have 144,000 emails in your inbox? <laughs> in the top left, there would just be this huge fat number. And I'm like, that's his inbox. I can't believe this is your last question. We're at the Dude. end of the show. God, we, we have, we've gone to war together. We've gone through the pits of hell together. And you want to know about my emails? Yes. And a lot, dude, a <sighs> lot of people want to know. A lot of people want to know. So, All right, yeah. here's, a, here's a piece of advice. Don't let little red badges and email numbers dictate how you feel. <laughs> if you get flustered by a fucking email number, like, you're not going to make it through life. Life's too hard, <laughs> man. I've got other shit to deal with. You think, I've got seven different email accounts. Okay, mm-hmm. seven, I've got... I've got the high-resolution email. I've still got my goddamn weaponized design email where I still get emails <laughs> to it. I've got my personal email. i got my business email. I've got my last business's email. It's just, I've mm-hmm. got all these emails, and I've got this flurry of stuff coming through. And the thing that I realized is to get to inbox zero requires so much effort. Why would I put in the effort? Mm. I'm just going to scan the things I need. I'm going to go into the stuff I want to read and everything else. I'm just going to leave. And if it's important enough, they'll reach back out to me. And I know that's, that's probably a selfish thing to say, but... Um, I don't let a freaking email number dictate how I feel. People on Twitter 
don't freak out about that. I have 144,000, probably at this point, 148,000 unread <laughs> emails. My new company is only three months old. Do you know, do you know how many unread emails I have already? A few thousand? Yeah, I've already got a couple thousand unread emails. Why am I gonna go through that much content? That's insane. It is. And why would I clear that? That's insane. <laughs> Email, it's just like free garbage. You're yeah. not polluting the world and it's garbage that's just sitting there yeah. that you don't have to clean up. You know, like, I don't want to clean that shit up. Next. That's it. That's well, why we're ending the now, show yeah. on. Now they know. Can I do one more thing? Paul, give me, the, give me that white piece of paper. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to end on this. We're I want to know, know who your top, top three guests are. Yeah. Um, give me this paper. We're going to rip this. I can't believe that was your final email, my, your final question. I did it for the community, man. It's, 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 I did it it's for the ridiculous. community. It's just ridiculous. I didn't want to know the community did. <laughs> Here, you've known me for seven years. Look, what we can do, we can, we can do like a YouTube clip of that answer, and anytime someone tweets back, just respond with that, that timestamp. <laughs> just respond right, with the timestamp. All right, Jared, here's what you're going to do. You're going to rip out three pieces of paper. All right. We're going to write down our three favorite guests from the show. This is the people we learn the most from, the people we, we, uh, I enjoyed having every guest. Obviously, I learned from every single one of them. My goodness, we wouldn't have picked them if they aren't incredible. Yeah. But yep. who are the three that you keep going back to, the three that you learn the most from? And what we're going to do is we're going to secretly write down the names, we're going to fold the pieces of paper, and we're going to raffle it so that cool. when we pick our names out, it's not in ranked order. So we want to be fair to the top three. Sound good? You Sounds got good. 10 seconds. Go ahead. Oh, crap. What's this person's name? I'm ready to go. All right. Mix it up. Mix it up. Do you know how tipsy I am right now? Do you know how, like... I feel good. I'm, dude, I've been, I'm such a lightweight, man. I don't need a name for it. I just feel good. All right. You guys have seen. We have three names. We're shuffling. Mr. Arandu, you go first. Who is your top three guest? Tom Kelly. All right. Rochelle King. All right. Andrea Mallard. All right. I loved Andrea. Yeah, storytelling, man. It's good stuff. Tom Kelly. That's pretty funny. I feel, ah, oh, man, we probably have the same last person. Wait, 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 wait. If we do, we need to flip together. Oh, we'll, we'll, say well it, I don't know. We'll say it I don't together. Know. I don't know. I'm being assumptive right now. But that's so. okay. We'll flip together. If <laughs> does, it's... Does, does it begin with it? Yes. Okay, oh we go. God. We go okay. with it. Three, right. okay. two, yeah. one. Gentry, Gentry Underwood. <laughs> All right, <laughs> that's guys, that's good. a wrap on the show. Right. We're done. Thank you for watching. It's been so good having yes. you guys here. It's We're done. Amazing. I'm exhausted. We're done. Let's move on. Yes. Namaste. Thank you. Thank you so much. Bye. Hey, you made it to the end. Congratulations. Thanks for watching the episode. I really, really hope you liked it. If you did like it, please leave us a review on the iTunes store. And by the way, if you have any questions that came up because of the content that, that we covered with our guests, go on YouTube, go on Twitter. You can tweet us, you can leave us a comment. We'll get back to you, we'll help you as much as possible. At Hi-Rez Podcast. that's the, the screen name or the handle for Twitter, for Instagram, for Facebook. Find us, talk to us, we wanna converse with you. Uh, we're not gonna leave here, by the way, without also thanking our friends at Searle Video. They've been an amazing partner on this entire project. So Searle Video is a creative studio based out of Portland, Oregon. They've helped creative communities tell stories for over 10 years. They've done advertisements, behind the scene footage, um, and documentaries for companies like Google, Slack, XOXO Festival, Adobe, Intel. 
They're incredible. They've traveled with us through the entire country documenting these stories with our guests. That's incredible. Thank you so much, Searle. Listen, if you're a startup looking to elevate your product, if you're a big company looking to humanize your brand, if you're someone in the creative community who just wants to tell a story, you've got to check out the team at Searle Video. It's searlevideo.com, S-E-A-R-L-E, video.com. Check out our friends at Searle. Thank you so much, guys. You guys have been incredible on this project.